0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I am delighted to be joined by Jacob Heilbrunn, who is editor of the National Interest and a columnist for the Spectator World Edition. And uh, we're going to be talking about Vivek Ramaswamy, who uh, I'm sure Americano listeners know, but it might be worth explaining for the few that don't, is running uh, to be president of the United States. He's making quite a lot of noise in the media. Uh, he's still polling quite low, so anywhere between sort of 6 and 14%, depending on which poll you look at. But he is uh, the probably it's fair to say the, the third horse in the race at the moment. And he recently published... Uh, an essay in the American Conservative, which is a magazine I used to work for and which uh, Jacob has written for in the past. And that essay was called A Viable Realism and Revival Doctrine. Uh, and the subhead was Washington, Monroe and Nixon equals America first. Jacob, again, bear in mind our British listeners who might not sort of be across the, the, the variations in American foreign policy visions Lay out for us what Ramaswamy said and why he might have done it in the American conservative and what you think of it. I should say you've already written a piece about the emptiness of the Ramaswamy doctrine. So I think it's fair to say you're not a fan. But explain uh, what it is and then explain why you're not a fan. Vivek Ramaswamy is a
1: 38-year-old entrepreneur who has amassed a fortune of about $300 million. And delivered a rap song as, as part of his campaign pitch in Iowa, much to the astonishment of the Republican audience. He did extremely well in the debate, the first debate among Republicans in Milwaukee, which where Trump, who did not attend, crowned him the winner because Ramaswamy is pitching himself as a younger and more effective Trump and he praises Trump to the skies for his first term and says that he would immediately pardon him become president. So Ramaswamy is trying to appeal or should I put it more bluntly steal the mega base from Donald Trump and this essay was the most sweeping enunciation that he's made of his foreign policy views. He has decried American aid to Ukraine previously, voiced his skepticism about NATO, and called for reducing, if not terminating, American financial aid to Israel. So he's not afraid to touch the third rails of American politics. And this essay, which I wrote about in the Atlantic magazine, His essay was published in the American Conservative, which was originally founded by Patrick J. Buchanan, who in many ways was the forerunner of Trump. So it was perfectly logical for Vivek Ramaswamy to publish his essay, which called for a return to Nixonian realism in American foreign policy in the American
0: Conservative. Uh, and that's of interest to you, is it not, Jacob? Because, of course, you edit The National Interest, which is part of the Nixon Center. So uh, you are uh, a leading authority on what Nixonian foreign policy is.
1: Um, we, yes, we, we were founded by Richard M. Nixon, and uh, it's now called The Center for the National Interest. But what I, I objected to in his essay was that I thought that his proposals were not realistic, That he was instead peddling the one thing that realpolitik or realism, which Great Britain has a long tradition of practicing, is not about wishful thinking. It is about a cold, sober, and pragmatic assessment of your interests and your allies. And it seemed to me that Ramaswamy's article, consistent with his campaign pitches, was rather glib and unpersuasive. For example, I don't think that simply jett- jettisoning Taiwan in 2028, as he proposes, when he claims that he as president would re- miraculously create American semiconductor independence, wh- then why, why hand over Taiwan to China, which he depicts as, as a grave threat to America? Why unilaterally curb Our influence in NATO, if not abandon the organization, and why cut off Israel almost overnight, which is again a substantial force for American influence in the Middle East. It just doesn't add up to me. Seems to me that what he's peddling, in fact, under the brand name of realism
0: is old-fashioned isolationism. Well, this, of course, is something that a lot of people have accused Trump of. And it does seem as though Ramaswamy's foreign policy is Trumpist with perhaps a little bit more of an intellectual coating. I mean, he and, and actually the intellectualism sometimes sort of slips in the essay because he says things like Uncle Sam will no longer be Uncle Sucker and things like that. How Trumpist is it? Do, and, and do you think he's going further than Trump may have done? in his view of America's role in the world. I think he is absolutely
1: going further than Donald Trump. For example, Trump was a staunch supporter of Israel. Nor do I think that Trump would simply abandon Taiwan the way Ramaswamy is proposing, because Trump has always been quite wary of China. There are these inconsistencies that I see in in Ramaswamy that that make no sense to me. I do think that his message could be quite appealing, it it is quite appealing to a swath of mega voters in the Republican Party. But I don't think it's a winning formula for a general election.
0: It reminded me a bit of a speech uh, that I think you attended and you may have even introduced by Donald Trump, I think, at the Center for the National Interest, in 2000, and maybe it was 2016. And that speech at the time surprised people because it seemed, as a, obviously Trump didn't write it, but it was quite a well-informed view of the world, which a lot of people wouldn't have associated with Trump automatically.
1: Well, the one thing that that is interesting about Trump and now Ramaswamy is that they do return to an older tradition in the Republican Party that I think, Think antedates Nixon and Kissinger. I don't really, Nixon and Kissinger were concerned about creating an equilibrium of power. They wanted detente with both the Soviet Union and Maoist China. They thought that the United States was declining as a superpower and wanted to shore it up as far as possible, but they they didn't believe in preeminence. So there was a huge divide then between Ronald Reagan and Nixon. Remember, Ronald Reagan campaigned in 1976 at the Kansas City Convention. He said that Nixon and Kissinger were were calling for the appeasement of the Soviet Union. So there is a real divide then, and there's a divide today in the Republican Party. If you look at the Milwaukee debate, Nikki Haley said that Ramaswamy's remarks underscored that he had no idea what he was talking about. Former Vice President Mike Pence said that he found Ramaswamy's remarks offensive. What Ramaswamy is doing is following in Trump's footsteps and attacking the Republican foreign policy establishment, which sees Reagan and the triumph in 1989 in the Cold War as its lodestar.
0: Well, he also says uh, the Biden administration has foolishly tried to get Z to dump Putin. In reality, we should get Putin to dump Z. That's quite a crude way of putting it. But that's not necessarily an idiotic view of the world, is it? That uh, the war in Ukraine has actually brought Russia and China closer together and that, you know, America's strategically, it would be better off if Russia and China were not operating together it, or, or their interests were not aligned against America.
1: Actually, uh, I'd have to disagree there. I think that before the Ukraine war, there, the ties between Russia and China were improving and they reached their zenith right right around the beginning of the war. But now Russia has become so much the junior partner to China. It's essentially become a hostage. And I think that Xi has become more wary of Vladimir Putin. The Chinese leadership has, in fact, been anchored its foreign policy around realpolitik. It's been pretty pragmatic, cautious, probing to expand its influence. It has not gotten enmeshed in foreign wars. Putin, by contrast, seems like more of a gambler. He's starting. To, I think he's starting to look more erratic to the Chinese leadership. He was warned off of using nuclear weapons by China. Uh, the same with, I think, India has become a little more wary of Russia. Russia is a backward power at this point. Now, obviously, she. I don't think that they want to see the Russian Federation break up. And I think they see them as a useful foil to the West. But it's also the case that the Ukraine war is such a disaster, such an imbroglio for the Russian leadership that Beijing, I think, has become more cautious about the prospect of invading Taiwan because they they see that these military expeditions, as we know all the way back to Thucydides from the Sicilian expedition, can go badly awry just as the United States came to grief in Iraq, I think Putin is is in even
0: deeper waters in Ukraine. Well, this connects to something we've spoken about before on your podcast, which uh, enraged listeners, uh, I think, which is that you actually think the Biden administration's policy towards China has been quite effective at containing China.
1: It has. I mean, the interesting thing is that Biden has not diverged fundamentally from Trump's approach to China. If anything, he has intensified it in, in the trade arena, imposing more tariffs on China and retaining the tariffs that Trump originally imposed on it. And uh, it, he has also gone to, to great, he just had the meeting at Camp David with Japan and South Korea and is improving the, the trilateral relations between the US, South Korea, and Japan, he is shoring up the alliances in Asia. A lot of the countries in that Indo- Indo-Pacific region are starting to become more wary of China as well. And that is redounded to the benefit of the United States. So, no, I don't think that
0: Chuck, that Joe Biden has been appeasing China. Well, I think what Ramaswamy says in his piece uh, which is a, what a lot of American feel, Americans feel, why it right, has quite a lot of popular appeal in the Republican Party, is that uh, he says he thinks Nixon was uh, the, the greatest foreign pol- policy, his favorite foreign policy president. But he implies that in Nixon's uh, bringing China in from the cold, going to China, he also th- laid the, the the groundwork for a future compromise with a state that is ultimately hostile and acting against American interests I mean he says if only Nixon could have seen the giveaways future administrations would offer to China I assume now he's talking about Tintin and bringing China into the world trade organization and then probably Bush a bit more as well I mean this is a this is a message message that politically has a lot of appeal would you not agree even if you don't agree with it from an uh, international relations perspective
1: clearly it does and biden for better or worse has in fact followed that trumpist policy of trying to revive the industrial base of america with with his investment program by retaining the tariffs biden is a union democrat a union hall democrat and i think that there have been costs associated with that approach not political costs, but financial ones, which is that keeping these
0: tariffs is inflationary. Well, uh, uh, Ramoswani talks about getting sort of moralism out of foreign policy and, and bringing back realism. It seems to me that your understanding of the Biden administration is that there is a facade of moralism, but some quite devious realism going on behind it. Is that a fair analysis of what you're saying? Yes. And if you look at
1: almost any American presidency, let's face it, the United States is pretty ruthless, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, about protecting and pursuing its own interests. It didn't become a superpower by being engaging in namby-pamby moralism. Well, is there anything that isn't realism then? Yes. I think Jimmy Carter came the closest to pursuing a moralistic Wilsonian foreign policy, and in a way, george H. W., George W. Bush, with his call for an end to evil in his second inaugural address, at least rhetorically, Carter and, and Bush went pretty far. Carter was a reaction to what was seen as the immoralism of Kissinger and and Nixon, and then Bush. Wanted to remake the Middle East. I don't think Cheney did, I don't, but I think that Bush was actuated partly, as was Tony Blair, by their religious moralism. I don't. I don't think that was a put on.
0: You say at the end that uh, we shouldn't. He's a salesman, and we shouldn't make the mistake of underestimating what a, a salesman can do. A, a clear reference to Donald Trump. I mean, you don't think Ramaswamy has a chance of winning the nomination, do you? He would only have a chance if, if Donald Trump either bows out of the
1: race, has, has a true health scare. Right now, I think what's interesting about the American race, much to the disappointment of the mainstream media, is that there will, in essence, be no primaries for the first time in American history. Trump will win by acclamation. I don't think he even needs to campaign, nor does Joe Biden. They're both in the same situation. There, Trump is running as though he were president and will simply be renominated by the Republican Party. And Biden will inevitably be renominated by the Democratic Party. The most likely scenario is that we will have a rematch, a cage match between Biden and Trump in 2024.
0: Well, there are uh, rumors in, in GOP circles that Ramaswamy is being considered. As a, uh, a Trump vice presidential pick, I think they had a meeting recently. Do you buy into that? It's possible
1: Ramaswamy would offer someone who is completely loyal to Trump, unlike Mike Pence, and someone who's willing to get into the gutter and fight. Uh, Trump said that that he needs that Ramaswamy needs to be careful about some of the places he's going. He goes further than Trump in espousing conspiracy theories about American politics, including 9-11. So I think the primary season right now, the debates are really a battle for who will become Trump's vice president.
0: Yes. Uh, do you think that's the way Trump is looking at it? Because, I mean, it seems to be with Ramaswamy, I think Trump is uh, a big fan of nominative determinism. And he likes names. Every every book I've ever read about him, he, he, there's some bit in it where they, he fixates on why he likes a name so much. And, of course, the name he likes the most is his own one, Trump. And I think he'd think Ramaswamy is a confusing name to, pe- to people. And that's why he wouldn't actually ever pick it.
1: Also, I think he would like to choose a woman. I mean, Nikki Haley would be a logical pick, even though she's the furthest ideologically from him.
0: Yes, that would scramble his base somewhat, because his base, certainly on foreign policy, his base is far more, as you've suggested, far more in tune with the way Ramaswamy thinks than the way Nikki Haley thinks, because Nikki Haley is the neocons' last great hope, is she not? Doesn't matter. Trump can do whatever he wants. He's untouchable. Plus, he would like the prospect of
1: having her bow to him.
0: Yeah, and they did actually get on well when when she was uh when she was ambassador to the UN for for him. That's right. So you think that's interesting. You think she's a credible vice presidential pick. Absolutely. Who else would you think is in the in the running? Um
1: beyond those two, I haven't really focused on this. I mean, Trump can pick from all over. He could pick someone from the media. He could pick Tucker Carlson. Not a woman no but tucker's again someone who would be formidably effective on the on the campaign stump. if he wanted the woman he might go for kirsty No, possibly maybe i think she's too bland for him ultimately
0: i think he wants someone who can really hit well let's bring it back to Ramaswamy because that's what we started talking about that form of foreign policy and that sort of posturing against china is not actually as you say it goes further than trump went Um, But is this the natural direction of the Republican Party? And does this mean, should Trump win the presidency? I'm not saying um, that you think he will. So let's just make that clear. If by some chance Trump won the presidency, would he have to be more belligerent towards China or would he be able to do what he did in his first term, which is actually play China off by saying kind things about China while sort of starting trade wars by mixing his message up quite effectively in some ways? Yeah, I think
1: that would be the the approach. I don't think that Trump would shift substantially
0: on China. I think it's on NATO that the real ructions would begin. Well, it will be very interesting to see. Jacob, a great pleasure to have you on, as always. Uh, and I'm sure we'll have you on again soon. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Faroz and the rest of The Spectator's broadcast team, If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.